Happy New Year, everybody, and today's episode of the Aim High Podcast, Aviation Made Easy, is brought to you by Spectacular Interactive. Spectacular Interactive is offering everybody fun, exciting ground school. No matter where you live in this country, the best way to learn how to fly is to go check out SpectacularInteractive.com. The content on SpectacularInteractive.com is overseen and overlooked by our beloved CFI, Erica Wiggins. A great place to learn how to fly right now. It's online which allows you the flexibility to do it whenever you'd like. And now because it's the new year, there's a great opportunity for you to go to SpectacularInteractive.com and when you go to check out, type in promo code HANGERTALK14. HANGERTALK14. No spaces in it. And if you do that, you'll get 20% off on your ground school. It's a great deal. You should act now. So go check out Spectacular Interactive. Input HANGERTALK14 and get... 20% 20% off and begin your dream of becoming a pilot today. Now boarding the Aim High Podcast. Aviation made easy. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Aim underscore high. The Aim High Podcast. What's up? A very happy new year to you and yours. Hope you are all safe and well. This is the Aim High Podcast, and I am Keith Shirts, and I will be hosting the year in review. We wanted to just do a quick highlights of uh, the best moments of the Aim High Podcast uh, that we had over a little bit. And it should be fun. I got the most funny and also educational things that we uh, went over and most popular that we did in our in our first uh, year as being on the air. It's been a very good year. And, uh, you know, you now have the opportunity to fill an entire 24-hour period of your life with the Aim High podcast. Oh, my goodness. And uh, we thank all of you who've been listening to us, been with their, us there. Share it with your friends. And uh, we, we've had a blast doing it for you. And now, uh, our first clip that you're going to listen to actually came from our very first episode. Mark uh, was busy talking with Erica Wiggins, who had just walked in the door. We'd never met her before. And uh, after all of this, after meeting her for the first time, she was so great on the show. We decided to bring her on, and uh, she's been just awesome, hasn't she? She's been so fun to listen to this year on uh, our show. And so, uh, please enjoy this clip. It's uh, entitled, The Only Safe Plane is a paper plane. As pilots, we're still looking at the eventualities that have yet to come. So we have to always be several steps ahead of the airplane, ahead of the weather, ahead of any other potential outcomes that could come during that flight and and anticipate and hopefully remove some of those components that could cause an issue during our trip. So, So it is a useful stress. It's a anticipation and it's productive to make the flight overall safer by anticipating and removing potential negative outcomes. Right. So. Now, I, I, I had a, you make some really good points, and it, it made me think of, of really kind of today's topic, uh, paper airplanes. I, I, I bring this up because um, 
I had someone down uh, coming into our hangar. We, we rarely talk about our race planes. You try to keep it secret what you're doing, but we couldn't help it. There would have been enough talk that we were putting, you know, Lycoming 720s with upgraded pistons, you know, creating 780 cubic inch motors in an in a all-carbon fiber Lancer Legacy. So people started talking, so we thought, we'll start it up, we'll post it online. And once we posted it, our hangar got flooded. I got to put a sign at the door that says, don't knock, we're not answering, because now we can't get any work done. <laughs> but while we were accepting visitors, uh, someone came in and he's looking at, at the planes. And, and we've got, uh, my brother and I have got four hangars at the airport. We've got a small collection of, of aircraft. And they're looking at the planes and, and um, particularly looking at the, the little Lancers and said, now, are these safe? I mean, these got to be dangerous. And, and it wasn't a pilot. And as a pilot, don't you take offense? Do you take offense when someone says, well, small planes are dangerous? Well, I do, but I guess because I've been flying since I was a kid. So I was always, I, I had my pilot's license before I had a driver's license. So I was much more frightened by the thought of getting on the road and having all these cars that close to me. I'm like, give me my airspace. Right, get away right. From me. You, get, you get up in the air, want, there's nobody there. It's yeah, a big sky. I want sky. my vertical separation. Give me my horizontal and my vertical and, and uh, you know, get away from me. Now you want to put me on a road with all these cars? That's dangerous. Well, and, and, <laughs> and we look at that, and, and that's been my outlook. People say, well, small airplanes, they, those are dangerous, and I've always been the defender. I'm like, well, statistically, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and I spout off all these stats, and, and I instantly found myself defensive. He says, well, isn't this dangerous? And my uh, brother Mike, uh, my, I had my identical twin for, for you know, as this is our first podcast, you know me, my, my identical twin brother Mike smiled real big when he answered it. Before I could get all defensive about aviation, he says, well, the only safe airplane's a paper one, because you can't get in it. And he was joking, but he says, the only safe plane's a paper one. And I thought, well, commercial aviation is the safest um, category. Mm -hmm. And they train nonstop for every bad outcome. General aviation, we train nonstop for every outcome until we don't have to. <laughs> now, um, maybe not everyone, but I find myself guilty of not practicing engine out like I should. When we got our first Meridian, um, we started playing a game as practice and uh, on a turboprop. Of course, you can pull the pull the power all the way back and not shock cool anything. So. We, if we got a clearance from you know 27,000 feet down to anything 17,000 below, so we knew we could go a VFR once we dropped below. If they, as soon as they cleared us below 18,000 feet, we would pull the prop idle and see if we could dead stick from 25, 27,000 feet all the way to our airport. But that was a game, right? It's like, well, let's just try it. We pull it out and see how far we could glide. And we got really good at it until we were really, really good at it, then we stopped doing it. Mm -hmm. and, and now I'm probably no good at it anymore. <laughs> so how how do we how do we as pilots keep that safety going? It's a level of personal responsibility, I think. And and you kind of hit it on the head. You know, you could make it a game. You could try and challenge yourself. You could take advantage of some of the programs that the FAA offers, and you know, get involved in some of that. But. Um, it is incumbent upon pilots to try and maintain their own currency and their own skills. And but you're right, they don't. And I see I see it with biannual flight reviews. You take somebody up and and start to put them back to basics, and and, it, and the skills are shot. They've had a whole bunch of pencil whipped reviews, and they haven't held themselves accountable. And as pilots, I do think they, that uh, each and every one of us are responsible to keep our training and our edge sharp. Aviation made. 
easy. Oh, Erica, she's so brilliant. She's so smart out there. And, uh, you know, it is important, of course, as I've learned, to always keep your guard up. Worry is indeed the friend of the pilot, like they said. Now, because of that, we like to do NTS B reports. And uh, so I had a lot of fun with this one. And uh, I have affectionately named this NTSB report, Taking It to the Streets. This just in from the National Transportation Safety Board. On August 18th, 2004, approximately at 5 o'clock, <clears throat> nighttime, uh, a Mooney M20E single-engine aircraft was substantially damaged upon collision with street signs when the airplane <laughs> overran the departure end of runway 30 at Kestrel Airport near San Antonio, Texas. According to the FAA inspector who responded to the site of the accident, the airplane landed on runway 30, a 3,000-foot-long 30, a 3, by 40-foot-wide asphalt runway, and overran the departure end of the runway. Upon exiting the airport property, the airplane struck a no-parking sign and entered a residential street where it collided with three sets of reflectors. The pilot continued taxiing uphill, uh, <laughs> where the pilot made a left turn and the left wing struck a stop sign. The pilot continued to taxi his way through the residential streets, uh, even through a three-way intersection. Wait, wait, seriously? This is what it says. <laughs> okay. This was reported. This is an NTSB report. Uh, because at first you started reading this and you were laughing. And I'm like, this is an airplane crash and you're laughing in a hard time. So... Yeah, well, let me, Go on. Let me finish. So he went down, uh, he continued to taxi down the residential street. He went through a three-way intersection before an individual forced the pilot to stop the airplane and have it towed back to the airport. So I'm assuming somebody went out and stood in front of the airplane and stop, <laughs> stop. You've got your prop running and there's children playing in the neighborhood. Now, usually, I, I, Eric, I, I don't know about you, but I've made it a habit to get out of my aircraft and into the vehicle before cruising around city streets. Typically, yes. I mean, that's I, the normal I, behavior. Well, you know, but if I don't, I at least stop at the three-way stop. If you're going to taxi around town, obey all traffic signs. Yes, okay. and don't take them out with don't, me. I, I like that. Yeah. That's good advice. This further says, examination of the airplane by the FAA inspector revealed that the left and right wing spars were bent. The left horizontal stabilizer also sustained structural damage. And uh, a completed pilot operator aircraft accident report was not received from this pilot. There you go. That's the NTSB report. Wait, how, do you, how does he not get a report? I mean, how, does, I thought they're going to... Wouldn't they hunt you down? Am I wrong? They'd hunt you down and make you do a report? Or he just decided, I'm not filling out a report? I think he was done flying. I think he, he, he was just done. He went off the grid. Yeah, I think he, he said, you know, I, if there's a way to go out, it's in a residential neighborhood. <laughs> no, I'm speechless. Aviation made easy. Not all of them can be that wild, and, and uh, so, so but that, that one was a lot of fun. I thought uh, it was the one we kicked off the show with, and uh, I thought that was a lot of fun with that. Speaking of a lot of fun, uh, we had Jay Leslie on the show. We actually had him on twice. I think he's our only two-time guest. Anyway, Jay, he was awesome on the show. He was a fantastic guy, wonderful guy, and uh, we just had. Uh, a great time with him. He's a friend of the show. And unfortunately, Jay, actually, he got into an accident uh, recently. We lost Jay uh, in the last part of this year. And so 
anyway, we wanted an opportunity to remember some of the fun times we had with him. And so he came on the show and discussed uh, what they called pilots, patterns, and pet peeves with Mark. And these are the things that are going to just drive Mark specifically crazy, but basically all aviators nuts. If, uh, if you're guilty of doing one of these pet peeves, fix it today. Anyway, it's a lot of fun to listen to. Uh, enjoy. A pilot's patterns and pet peeves. Pilots were funny creatures. Right? We are... Uh, funny creatures? Uh, well, yeah. I've, I've never known well, that not, before not to funny, be the case. Not funny, ha-ha. Not, not that we all have a good sense of humor or anything like that. But, but we're funny creatures in that, that we are kind of type A, can, do, um, in charge personalities. You, you I disagree ha- with you. That has never happened. <laughs> I've never seen that happen. Not once. <laughs> yes, pilots are timid and scared and nervous types that, that are more likely to stand on the brakes instead of swerve and avoid the accident. <laughs> stand off the butt and drive off the cliff. I oh, will we, teach them to do what I want them to do. We, we are by nature and, and need to be confident people, right? Absolutely. We have to make lots of decisions. You've got to make decisions. You've got to make decisions quickly, and then you have to execute with um, extreme prejudice. Yes. Um, I, I had a uh, uh, when I was first flying with my wife. She's not um, that personality type. She is a go along. Uh, that's not the experience along. I've had. Just, no, just so you, you, know. you have been her instructor and working <laughs> with her on instrument rating. So that's good. That's good. That is good. Um, when uh, when she first got her license, I went flying with her two times, and the wind would push her, and she would push back gent- gently. And I would say, look, if the wind pushes you that hard, push back just as hard. You know, give that stick everything it's got. Don't be shy about it. Just especially short final or on the ground, you you gotta you gotta react with extreme prejudice. Yes. Um, and and that's needed. Now, the challenge is that that brings up problems in the pattern and so only if, only if you don't only if you disagree with me that's 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 <laughs> problems jay i would i would never disagree okay with all right you. <laughs> okay so um i'm gonna take my first first pet peeve okay uh yeah you sh- have many i know because i've heard them before i'm glad you're in this therapy session for the for both of us this, so this, this is, is this is, this for is all good of us. This, this is for all of us so this is good <laughs> okay instruction on the radio Instruction on the radio, unsolicited, to another pilot. Oh yes, that that's a major offense. I have to I have to agree with that. Now, now I'm guessing you have a particular incident. Well, I, there's there's one in fact that uh, that I heard just the other day where I was just I, I have a, a, a nice uh, radio in my car for monitoring the aviation frequencies and those of you listening to this podcast that have radios in your car you get it well, i mean you know when you put an expensive radio in your car they have, they have medications for that kind of problem but yes yes I, I know there's i know there's a cure but i don't want it <laughs> okay very good that's okay i, I accept my illness <laughs> awesome can i chime in for a second please keith what are you listening for? I'm sorry. This is on the outside. What, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a radio in here, what, what do you possibly think that you're going to hear while you're driving around? Dude, it's it just just the noise of traffic in the pattern is like a soothing therapeutic. Okay, babies, so- babies have binkies. Okay, Mark has radios. <laughs> I got it. Well, you know, I think just some of this even goes back to uh, you know maybe even offending our manhood sometimes. You know, but uh, you know, there's. 
obviously the radio is supposed to be there to help us be able to coordinate efforts, especially in uncontrolled airports like uh, here at uh, U-77 here at Spanish Fort. And uh, being able to try to, uh, gosh, just trying to coordinate. You start getting three and four airplanes in the pattern. You start getting helicopters in the pattern. And there are days you might have six aircraft trying to coordinate around the pattern. All of a sudden someone wants to jump in and start taking airtime to uh, give instruction that was, A, not asked for, and number two, just really isn't the time and place. So I'm 100% with you. There's a time and place for that. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this uh, pet peeve on the, the major offense list for several reasons. One, it's super offensive. Two, it's dangerous. Yes, absolutely. The, the next thing is somewhat related because I think the guy that jumps in and needs to do a, a, a full minute you know, monologue and, on teaching pilots in the pattern how to, how to do things right um, they uh, they might be overcompensating, and this is my next my next pet peeve is working your flight no. hours into the conversation. I didn't know Freud was here too. Freud. I didn't know that we were <laughs> going to introduce Freud today. Overcompensation. Okay, and well, we're going to talk about. Uh, I you know what I'm going to I'm going to steer away. But go ahead, you. Okay, so let's I let's really I want to hear really your go, argument. Let's really go Freudian here. When people work in their hours, oh, I've got this many hours into their conversation as they're giving advice on the ramp. You you just want to say, look, buddy, do you need a tape measure? Because <laughs> <laughs> guess what, my hours just might be more than yours. And if we're going to measure our competence by hours, you know, let's let's yeah. go ahead and drop the drawers and get the tape measure out. And I know that's crude, but but I, it's one of my pet peeves. I'm like, you know, I one I don't, I don't care, and and two, it's not necessary. If your point's a valid point that you're making to somebody, you don't need to qualify your point with the fact that you have more hours than they do. This, this is my next pet peeve. Uh, Spanish Fork area traffic. Uh, Katana 765 Delta Charlie. Coming into the pattern, uh, left base. We'll be landing shortly. Yes. It's the soft voice, pilot. The I'm, Go it, Jay. You know what? I... I've been a personal victim here. I've been victimized by this, I, I'll tell you. And, and if it wasn't for your help, Mark, you know, I would uh, probably still be doing it today. But I have to thank you as I've thanked you before, and I will continue to thank you. My daughter still tells me, soft ducker. I mean, Mark, I, I, for those of you that don't know, I've, I've flown with Mark a bunch, and I, he really, this is a pet peeve. And he let me know the first time I did it. He didn't even let me get away with it twice. But no, the first time, the first time he goes, I'm a soft talker. I am so cool. I am super piloted. I just like to talk this way. Thanks a lot, Mark. And my daughter does it too now. But, so you know. but I've noticed now in the pattern, you're not a soft talker anymore. You, you, I can hear you and I can understand you and I hear every word you're saying. It's clear, concise, and, and safe. So people are flying. They're not broadcasting the Masters Golf Tournament. No, they're, they're, that's right. We're not. We're not whispering at the golf match. We're we're trying to say something. And I found the, the higher altitudes I'm flying at. You know, you get up in, in the higher altitudes. You're working with different controllers. You're talking with you know jet pilots. And and I don't know what it is, but it seems like the faster the plane they're flying, the cooler they are, <laughs> and the softer they can talk into the microphone. Next pet peeve. <laughs> My way is the right way. Mm. Attitude. We were just talking to, I was uh, talking to a bunch of uh, CFI candidates yesterday about communication. This kind of brings in the point. One of the ways you can re uh, measure if the communication has been successful is to look at the results. So it's kind of come back to what you're saying. As long as the message is, is delivered, people understand what it, your intentions are, what, you, uh, what you're planning on doing. 
um, and everybody else is on the same page, it does, again, it comes back. It doesn't necessarily matter. Now, as general, in general, obviously, there's some common terms that we use, yes, but uh, I'm in complete agreement with you. It kind of goes back to this little incident we had yesterday with uh, our, our friend not even in the pattern wanting to make a big deal out. The fact of the matter is everybody understood. The results were there. Communication occurred, and it was effective. So, Okay, patterns. Now, this one I save for last because it's, it's, a, it's a pet peeve for me because I'm tired of seeing people die. And I mean that in a serious way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm switching to my... I've got my serious face on right now. Um, it, it, for the last... Parental. Yeah, it's my parental, you know, my motherly instinct coming out. I don't want to see let's people go, Let's go die. paternal. And, and every, time I, every time I see an airplane flying this one and a quarter mile or one and a half mile or pattern, I'm looking at it going, there's no way that airplane can get to the runway if you had an engine failure and we're over a populated area for crying out loud. What, what are you going to do when it quits? Who are you going to kill besides yourself? And, and it frustrates me. So it's a pet peeve. I say, wait, tighten up the pattern, people. Let's, let's keep it within what's recommended. Well, you know, I, I try to teach my students the same thing. Everyone needs, uh, all the same. I had a, a good friend of mine who uh, taught me years ago that uh, always try to be in a position where you could glide in an engine off situation. And when I kind of move forward with my students, I always try to talk to them about uh, energy and, and, and recognizing always have enough energy that you're going to be able to make it to the airport if you lose an engine. Well, the only way you can do that is with altitude and spacing to be able to ascertain that. And uh, unfortunately, this is one of those things, and I think this kind of comes back to a training model that uh, we kind of get trained into, even our instructors perpetuate it, is that uh, we, we teach certain general rules of thumb as far as how we go out and do traffic patterns and how we fly them. And, and people are unwilling thumb. are unwilling to sometimes think for themselves and recognize that, you know what, it's okay for me to make some adjustments here in order to make sure that I can do this in a safe operation. The rules don't dictate to me. There are some rules I, I do have to follow, but when it comes to making sure I can execute this safely, that's a pilot discretion and being able to make that decision. And an extra 100 feet, honestly, if you're in a 1,000-foot uh, pattern, no one's going to notice if you happen to be an extra 100 feet, 200 feet and, high. And if your plane needs who it. Who cares? If your plane needs it. You can do it. Do it. No problem. You know, unless there's an airspace restriction above you that you can't go into. Of course, there's always the caveat, the caveat, the caveat. But, but, the, but the challenge is it seems like the rule of thumb becomes the unbreakable rule right. as people move on and they're flying. And, and I know we teach this, right, Jay? I know instructors are teaching and they're doing engine out landings all the time. But I still see it. Even with all the items that we talked about today, these are pet peeves because people are obviously doing stuff that just doesn't always make sense. And it's good for us to have this kind of discussion to be able to talk to people and kind of remind them to, to think about it and uh, think about what you're doing. And uh, just because you've been doing it that way and it's always been done that way doesn't necessarily mean it's the, it's the right, right way. Aviation made easy. All right, so there it is. Uh, our friend uh, Jay Leslie bringing the knowledge I uh, hope everything is well with him and his family. Um, now it's time for the NTSB report we did with Jay Leslie. I thought this one was a lot of fun as well. And I've entitled this one, uh, Always Do a Walk Around. This just in from the National Transportation Safety Board. A Beechcraft E35 is leaving Park Rapids, Minnesota. And it says that the type of accident was a collision with the trees during takeoff during the initial climb. 
The probable cause is that the pilot in command had inadequate pre-flight preparation and or planning. The remarks by the NTSB, the pilot did not release the 250-pound tail tie-down before takeoff. Oh, my God. Wait, what? Yeah, what? Was, was it dragging a bucket? What, what is he dragging? Uh, is he dragging? Uh, That's all it says. I, it says it says pilot did not release two hundred fifty pound tail tie down before takeoff. That's okay. So it's it's a bucket. Yeah, it's that, it's it's that carrying concrete, a weight. It's, it's that concrete bucket we all have in our shops if we do work on our own planes. So the mechanic has to hold down the tail so that they can lift the wings and cycle the gear. And uh, it it was it, wow. I tell you, I. You know, if that's I, a new one. That's, I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> and, wow. Well, what uh, now? The outcome: they survived or they they died. Uh, survived. Survived. They survived? Oh. Yeah. oh, good. That's a you tough know, lesson. Okay. What what a painful lesson and experience. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. That there's a whole lot to discuss on that one, Jay. Other than, geez, how about a walk around, kick the tires and the and the can of concrete? Well. And I, it, <laughs> <laughs> what can I say? You know, it's funny, and I won't name. Uh, going back to, uh, we just had a uh, an aircraft at our at the school I'm associated with. Unfortunately, uh, someone actually decided to fly the pattern with a uh, actually took an, uh, an arrow out and flew it for a while with a uh, tow, bar. tow bar stuck to the front landing gear. Couldn't figure out why the gear wouldn't cycle. Uh, and this is a two pilot operation, actually a CFI candidate. Going yeah. back to CFIs, another CFI who I actually, uh, the person I'm associated with, actually, I was quite surprised it happened. Well, what happened is kind of the very same thing. Expecting someone else to have taken care of the problem, not recognizing it's regardless of what we're doing as pilots, even if we're hook, uh, we had jumping in with a friend of ours, we're just as much responsible for the safety of that flight as anybody else because we know what we're, you know, we know how things are supposed to be done. A quick little walk around would have solved that problem, just like our, uh, you know, just no like one, our tow bar. No one's immune. I, I, it can happen I, to the I'm best re- of us. Yeah, it really could. I'm That's why I kind of laugh. You know, I'm I don't. dreading the day that I forget to put my gear down, right? And it's like, because <laughs> I, I, everyone that's had a gear up landing knew for sure it wouldn't be them. Right? right. Every pilot that has taken off with a tow bar attached to the nose gear knew for sure it would not be them and i'm like going i i don't why don't I'm, i don't want i don't want that moment okay i have a, 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 a I, I don't want to be the training story that, that's, that's my whole goal in life that's about. my whole goal in life is not to be the ntsb report that, that that's that's a that's an awesome goal yes we we have a a good a good friend of mine's a lancer legacy driver um he's a very accomplished aerobatic pilot he flies warbirds all over the world and and uh, incredibly talented pilot he was he was pulling out um, the other day, and I stopped him with this tow bar. <laughs> I stopped him. I'm waving at him, waving at him. He kind of waves back, and so I'm like, "No, I'm waving now with both hands, and I'm jumping up and down, and I'm pointing at his plane." And, hey, Mark, hi. And, I don't want to talk to you right now. You uh, talk too much. Yeah, well, it's, 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 that's true. That's true. <laughs> so he shut he shut down his plane, and I and I just walked up and I said, I said, I don't even want to tell you what I'm going to tell you because I know you're going to be embarrassed. And he goes, "What?" I said, your tow bar is still attached. And I don't know how. I mean, it, you see that prop. It only clears the tow bar on that legacy oh, by like oh, an wow. inch. Barely. He's taxiing with it, bouncing around oh, on the front there. And it never hit. And he got out and he goes, he goes, Mark, oh, my gosh. Seriously, don't tell anyone this happened to me. And so I'm not going to give his name. Yeah. <laughs> but... But it can happen to any of them. We'll protect this, the innocent. And and this this guy this guy if he was measuring hours he measures well and yes. uh, it so it can happen to any of us yeah. and that's just I'm just glad those those guys survived. 
And that, as I looked at the hours, the same goes for the NTSB report here. This guy was an experienced yeah. pilot, 61, and, uh, it's, yeah. tons of hours in this aircraft, it says. And it, this is one of the big things, that's, and it comes back to human nature again. And I see it even in my own regular professional career outside of aviation is complacency. is It just settles in. And you just have to constantly tell yourself something bad can happen to me, and I've got to I've got to make sure I stay on top of things. Yeah. Aviation made easy. All right, there it is. Uh don't be complacent. Do your walk around. Make sure that you don't try to take off with a 250-pound concrete bucket tied to the tail of your aircraft. Unbelievable. Some of the stuff that you can find out there in those NTSB reports. Uh, next up, we have a clip with Greg Webster. Greg Webster is uh, the guy. He actually helped uh, do the check ride for Mark for his Eclipse jet uh, when he when he got his Eclipse jet and so he did his check ride with Greg Webster and they're going to talk about uh, some of the best experiences they've had up uh, with check rides. Uh, I once took a check ride for uh, uh, a type rating in a jet and I was a little tense and I think the, uh, the examiner could sense that I was so. To break the ice, what he did is he said, just before we got in the airplane, after we had pre-flighted, he came around to the nose wheel and he took out his pen and he made a vertical arrow on the tire. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what is that? So there's just this little pin arrow pointing straight up. And I, and I said, what is this for? And he says, well, if you when you stop after the check ride, when you pull into the ramp and you stop, if the arrow is anywhere in the top 180 degrees, you pass, and if it's anywhere in the bottom 180 degrees, you fail. So this is, this is Vegas to, on the wheel. Oh, I, had wow. to, I had to laugh. You know, of course he was joking, but it did kind of take some of the tension away. Okay, I've got to tell you, I've had one perfect check ride that was perfectly fun and I felt like and the examiner said everything you did the whole way start to finish was perfect and you passed with flying colors and that was my um, float plane rating the seaplane and he did something that broke the ice and I think that was the difference now your, your examiner is not always going to do this for you you've got to find a way to do it for yourself to let go but I got out and I'm kind of worried I've been practicing in a float plane I'm, I'm doing my float plane rating on a river so you've got the moving water you're dealing with. It's not a big open lake. You've got boats going up and down the big river. And, um, you're, and, so there's, there's, and it's a check ride, right? Well, he shows up, the examiner, and he says, so you're going to get your float plane rating today, and uh, as long as you can do everything right, so what's the first thing you do before you go fly a float plane? What is the absolute first thing you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm going, uh, 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 I'm thinking, what, what, pre-flight, pre-flight. And he just looks at me and goes, wrong. You are going to fail this exam already. What is the most important thing to do before you get on a float plane? <laughs> oh, no. And, and, I, 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 and I mean, he really hammed this up. I mean, he was killing me. And I said, well, you, you got to check the floats and there's no water in them and it hasn't sinked water into the right. floats and heavy. And, and he goes, no, holy cow, are we even going to fly today or what, do I got to fail you on the ground? And I said, I know where this is I've going. I've had a total loss. I have, I, I, and I answered, I tried everything. I ran out of, of tricks in my bag of tricks of what he might be looking for. And he goes, okay, look, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you a lifeline here just this once and, and demonstrate the first thing you do before flying a float plane, including on a check ride. 
and he kicks off his shoes and runs down the beach screaming, Woohoo! And yeah. dives into the water. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, That's great. And he says, Get out here. We're out here to have fun. And so I ran down the beach. I jumped in the water. And I just, it was a hot day. And there's that stress. And all of a sudden, I'm cool. I'm refreshed. And we climb out of the water. He says, Now let's go fly a float plane. Nice. And I had the best time. And honestly, I'm not bragging. I haven't had the perfect check rights. And perfection isn't, isn't the requirement. But this was a perfect check ride. And I nailed it. And I knew I nailed it. Inside, I was giggling I was so good in that float plane that day. And when it was done, he says, hey, you passed with flying colors. You were relaxed. You answered all the questions. Your maneuvers were textbook. And I'm like, it was jumping in the water. Yes. That's what it was. Right. Aviation made easy. All right. So there it is. That is how to relax when you're out on your check ride. Uh, Now, if you don't mind you can hear one of our great songs that you can take uh when you take the aim high course with one of our partners right now of course with spectacular interactive you can go there and take the aim course on spectacular interactive site uh you can do that the the cfi at spectacular so the guy that you'll work with over there is greg webster so the guy that we just heard from uh so if you go there and type in hangar talk uh, 14 with no spaces in it uh, h-a-n-g-a-r talk 14, uh, you'll get 20% off a ground school. And, and so that's pretty cool. Uh, so one of the things that you can hear in, in our ground school is a, a little song uh, to help you memorize the phonetic alphabet done to, of course, one of the most manly songs ever. Alpha Brother Charlie, Delta Echo Fox, Strike Off Hotel in Juliet, Kilo Lima Mike November X-ray Yankee Zulu X-ray Yankee Zulu Oscar Papa Quebec Romeo Sierra Tango Get your uniform Victor Leave behind all the whiskey X-ray Zulu X-ray Yankee Zulu Aviation made easy. Okay, hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, and now we're going to go back to uh, one of the best podcasts we had. It was called Dark Nights and Damsels in Distress. Mark brought his wife Susie in. Susie is a pilot as well. And they had a really, really scary night. And so uh, I thought it was a, a great way to learn a lot about spatial disorientation. And and the sun's going down. And Susie, you've done a lot of night flying. You've, oh, yeah. You're current and you fly at night. And, and there's never a problem with it. And you've there's, never... There's roads underneath you or stars above you. Right. Now, this night was different. Very different. The, the clouds were overcast, um, and it was black. There was no moon. There was no stars. It was as black as could be. And as the sun's going down, I actually, for the first time in our entire 
week of travels, I backed off and pulled out of formations to stay legal. Um, and and, and uh, so I loosened up the formation to a, to a safe legal distance. And as the sun's going down, I get this sick uh, pit in my stomach as I see how dark it's getting and I'm starting to lose visual of the aircraft itself and I'm only seeing the strobes. And I, I was so ill inside, I advanced the throttle and, and, and broke a lot. But something inside me told me it was time to take an action and stay a little closer to my wife and kids. And I advanced the throttle and I pulled up into formation, um, not close enough that, that uh, there, you know, I felt any danger, but I pulled back into formation and tucked up um, just behind you in the, in the four o'clock position and tightened up. And it was just about that time you started to make a right-hand turn. Yeah. And I got on the radio and I said, I said, Susie, uh, don't go to the right. We'll end up um, heading towards the Grand Canyon. We got we to gotta stay on our heading. And do you remember what you said to me? Help me. Help me. And the pit in my stomach that was already there, that pit, that, that almost panic that creeped up for no reason whatsoever became real. And I realized this night is as black as black can be. It is the black hole of Wendover, Nevada that experienced pilots that don't have a lot of IMC experience, instrument condition experience, go out and get themselves killed in. And I and I'm I'm in this tight formation, and I and I and I tighten up the formation a little bit more, and into what you would consider a daytime formation flight, because I need to see what's happening with her. And she says, "Help me!" And then she continues the turn to the right, and I said, "Susie, push the stick to the left." And you said something's wrong. It felt like I was pushing as hard as I could to the left and it would not go. Right. And um, the aircraft is still turning. Now, I want to point out uh, at this point, there was actually nothing wrong with the aircraft. No. My mind had... It's, it's kind of like when you're in that, that tunnel in the carnival. Of the the, spinning, the, the tunnel. spinning tunnel with mirrors and smoke and And everybody ends lights. up leaning on that handrail right. and wow. can't walk straight. It is exactly that. My instruments now in the in in the eight oh one we had two dynons um and both of them were doing exactly what I was doing, but my mind was telling me otherwise. And so we start this turn and I say, Susie, push the stick to the left. She says, I am. I said, push it harder to the left. You've got to push that stick to the left. And now the plane's starting to roll even farther to the right. And I said, Susie, turn. You've got to level those wings. And, she, and you said, my instruments are broken. Yeah. Something's wrong with my plane. And the nose of the plane starts to drop. Your airspeed starts to pick up. You continue the roll. And now I'm uh, looking at how dark it is. I'm, I'm choosing to enter a rolling dive um, into the black IMC uh, with an aircraft that's, that's full of my, uh, everything that matters to me. 
my, my wife and, and three of our four boys. And I've got one boy in with me going, what are we doing? And I said, mom's in trouble. And as we roll down, I'm pulling the throttle out. I'm putting flaps in. It's hard enough to start going inverted and diving in formation when you have equally matched pilots in equally matched airframes that build speed together and the same and behave similar. But when you've got a Zenith 801 that, that it, at, at 60% power cruise is doing 100 miles an hour and at 100% power is doing 110 miles an hour and 100% power and a, and a dive is still doing 110 miles an hour right. or, or 115, I'm in an RV6, I'm throwing out my flaps. I've got my first notch of flaps in, my throttle's all the way out. I've got my second notch, I've got my third notch. So I'm full flaps trying to stay with you as we head for a canyon floor. And I'm at this point saying, Susie, stop looking at the gauges. Push the stick to the left. Level your wings right now. And I remember you saying, um, do you remember what your, your uh, horizon is in the airplane? The, keep the line horizontal and keep it in the blue. Yeah. And that was the hardest thing. That was literally the hardest thing to keep my airspeed up, throughout, you know, full throttle, full mixture, everything, so that my engine wasn't going to quit. I didn't care how much fuel I burned at that point because we were trying well, at this to... Point, it, at this point, you would be normally pulling the throttle out to keep from a dive, but you, at this, you were thinking about flying the airplane, keep it flying, keep it flying, not realizing that you're actually in a dive needing to pull the throttle to slow down. But in your mind, your, your plane, your instruments are deceiving you. So why would you pull the throttle in level flight? Because you're wanting it to fly. Right. So in turn, you're full throttle, rolling over and, and, and diving for the ground. Now, let me tell the, the, the audience, the kids with me had no idea what was going on. They were watching their movie, the, the little portable DVD players. And I didn't want to hear what they were saying because I was listening to Mark and nervous and everything. Um, our audio system in the airplane had a, a passenger isolate. mute. Yeah. So I could isolate them. They, they couldn't hear Mark the, or me for that matter. Now, after, uh, after several attempts um, to get you to roll over, there was a point I'm watching on my, my 3D train in, in my RV I'm watching everything turning yellow and everything's turning red and I realize this is this is all going to be over in about 45 seconds. And there was a that point in the flight where the thought entered my mind, do I stay here with her and we succeed or fail at pulling her out of this? as a family, or do I peel off? Um, and that, that was a, that was a tough, tough, um, a tough thought to enter your mind. But what's interesting is that not for a second did I think pull off. It entered my mind and was instantly gone. And my mind is, we're going to fix this. If it's last second, we're going to fix this. And I'm going to stay tied to your wing in formation until we do. And um, and you did. You, yeah. you finally pushed the stick to the left, 
and we got your wings rolled level, and then we started pulling out of a dive. Now, as we started pulling out of that dive, and you started feeling G's. Oh, my ears were saying, no, this is wrong. And I kept going to the right. I remember kept going to the right, and you said, no, keep going to the left. No, you leveled your wings, and as soon as you started pulling G's to start climbing out of the, the death dive. Right. You started pulling back G's, and you started rolling right again. Right. And I'm like, no. And we fought that. We argued about it. We argued about it. it, it I, there was a point where I was yelling at my wife on the radio, and, and one of the few times I can honestly say that I've yelled at my wife, where I, I was screaming into the microphone, Susie, push that stick back to the left and pull back now. Yeah. We're going to die if you don't. We, we finally pulled out of the dive. We argued wings level not, wings level not, for another half hour, and we finally uh, come across the hillside, and just to the south of St. George, Utah. Just to the south of St. George, and when you saw those city lights, oh man, it was. I'm going to cl keep climbing, and not not climbing. I guess not a huge climb, but you wanted one, altitude. I wanted altitude. That 100, 200 feet a minute. I don't care how how much it is, and I don't care what altitude I'm at, as long as the city lights were getting bigger and more of them, I was fine. I felt that peace and which is a, which is a, which it. is a great point and tip for pilots. If you, you know, if you, if you fly in the mountains and hill terrains and out here in Utah, you learn real quick that if you're flying level, if this, if you're seeing more and more of the city lights, you can't, you're not going to hit anything. If you start seeing less and less of the city lights, you're going to hit something there. There's an obstacle in your way. And so the city lights growing is you're going to live. The city lights shrinking is you're going to die unless you take a corrective action. Aviation made easy. I told you it was awesome. How awesome is that story? Gosh, dang, man. And the two of them just uh, working together and figuring it out, man. Uh, very, very lucky and a very, very tense scenario. Uh, speaking of lucky, I was extremely lucky. I had the opportunity to sit down with Rob Hardy, who is a pilot for Pilots and Paws, which is an awesome charity which helps uh, rescue animals by finding them homes and getting them uh, traveled away from kill shelters. So it's, a, it's an awesome opportunity for you to get involved and use your plane, excuse to go out and fly, meet some wonderful pets. And uh, as I was talking with Rob, I asked him a little bit about you know, why he decided to get involved and then about his uh, relationship with his dog, Taco, who was this awesome little dog who was in the studio with us on the day and why um, they seem to be so close and why so many people who fly these days seem to take their little friends with them. When, when did you decide to get involved? Uh, for me, it was a little under a year ago that I, that I first got officially uh, involved. Um, I've had a rescue animals my entire life. Um, they've always flown with me as well. So it's, it just kind of was a natural fit for me where, where it was nice to see that somebody actually finally took it by the reins and, and got it taken care of. And, and so that's what got me involved. And, you know, for the first time ever in the studio, we've got a canine. <laughs> it's really exciting. Rob, you brought your dog. I did. He goes with me pretty much everywhere. We're going to be put, we'll put a picture of you guys, you know, we'll, <laughs> what's your dog's name? His name's Taco. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Holy cow. This is a cute dog. So, and did, did you get, you, 
how did you get Taco? Uh, Taco kind of found me. He was probably eight weeks old. Um, at the time, I was living in Salt Lake, and, and I had a roommate who was walking to a grocery store, and, and Taco was sitting in a box out front. So they brought him home, and, and he started going to work with me every day, and, and I owned my own business at the time, and it was lucky. It was just I saved Taco's life. He saved my life. 10 times over and he's been my best friend ever since now he goes flying with me everywhere we go and rides on the motorcycle with me and just that's great so you you go flying with him all the time how long have you been a pilot let's talk about that uh let's say i've been a pilot since i think 2004 okay all right and and <clears throat> what do you cruise around in uh i own right now a cessna 172 uh old straight tail model 1957 okay that we've slowly restored over the years and and Taco's got his perch in it. You open the door and he jumps right in. He's, he waits for nobody. He's a dog that loves flying. He really does. There's a lot of animals out there that love flying. I, you know, I've noticed that. I the the more time goes on, the more I meet people, and you know, I'll fly into places, and he'll jump out and go running around, and and it definitely seems to be this growing contingent of people that just always have their animals with them. Aviation made easy. All right. Thank you so much for listening. This is just part one of the best of aim high podcast aviation made easy year in review hopefully you've enjoyed kind of the look back i've had a good time uh taking a look at it we have much more to come a part two coming shortly and uh, i hope again happy new year to everybody hope it's all going well and thank you so much to listening to our show Thank you for listening to the Aim High Podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Aim underscore High and like us on Facebook. And if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes. We know you have many choices when it comes to your podcast, and we thank you for choosing ours. When you're learning how to fly, Aim High. Aviation made easy. Okay, I wanted to take one more opportunity to remind you that you can go to SpectacularInteractive.com. It's a pun, right? Air at the end. SpectacularInteractive.com. Go check it out. It's a great place to begin your ground school. And again, it is online, so you can do it on your own terms when you want to do it. It's fun. It's interactive. There's so many good opportunities for you to begin learning your ground school and in the way that you're comfortable on your com- on your computer. And so it's a great time to get started because you can get 20% off the course if you go there and type in Hangar Talk 14. Hangar Talk 14 gets you 20% off of the ground school course. You can find it at spectacularinteractive.com. Go check it out. Tell those that need to become pilots, those that you're begging to become pilots with you, that the best way to learn how to fly is to go check out that Aim High course, which is sponsored over at SpectacularInteractive.com. Thanks. And now as a bonus for those of you who stayed around.
an opportunity to hear yet another song that has been made for this Aim High Chorus. This will teach you what the operating cycle of an engine is, what the four strokes are, right? The intake, compression, ignition, or power stroke, and the exhaust stroke. Enjoy. I need you to get me where I'm going. I feel you up and you reciprocate. Oh, we're at just the right time in your cycle. I love the way you operate. Fresh you intake and there's a compression. Then you explode with all all of that power. Ooh, I'm exhausted uh, by the way you suck, squeeze, bang and blow. It gives me power. Great power, the way you suck, squeeze, bang and blow, it gives me power, great power, oh, when it comes to piston engines, I'm not picky I gotta experience them all You suck, suck. Squeeze. squeeze, bang, bang. and blow. blow. It gives me power, horsepower, great power. Mm-hmm. The way you suck, suck. Squeeze. squeeze, bang, bang. and blow. blow. It gives me power, horsepower, great power. Mm-hmm. 